The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good morning, my brewing brothers and sisters. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about robust porters. Mm, sounds good. Yeah. You look a little under the weather, John. Hey, man. I'm sick. Yeah? Kicked my ass this weekend. How, you went to the, the beer fest, the uh, Boonville... Uh, I went to Boonville, drank no beer, and I drank a lot of NyQuil. <laughs> There's <laughs> more alcohol up. in NyQuil than there yeah. is in beer. I'll tell you what. It, I was buzzed with NyQuil. <laughs> two, two tablespoons of that will put you under... Yeah, if only NyQuil came in like uh, flavors like robust porter NyQuil <laughs> and uh, you know uh, NyQuil barley wine and That's NyQuil idea. stout and NyQuil pale ale. <laughs> I think we got an idea there. Do a you know if you if you drink enough NyQuil, yeah, you will trip. Really? It has like uh, or maybe it's just Robitussin. Yeah, the Tussin. All right, because it has. Uh, uh, LME or DME or one of those <laughs> things in there. Yeah, it's got a malt extract in it. That's, <laughs> what, they, that's what they make Robitussin from. And if wow. you, uh, it's, just, it's the same thing that they put uh, basically in in acid, but in tiny little amounts. Nice. And if you drink enough of it, you'll uh, you'll see little floating mushrooms. I should have done that. No, <laughs> there you go. Put a shot in the pint. That'd be great. Yeah, Tussin and uh, Nyquil. All right, good mix. <laughs> all right, so, uh, yeah. uh, but you had a. Uh, it was well, all right. It was a good trip. Yeah. I think Justin had a better time than I did. I yeah. mean, when you're sick, you're just miserable, you know, and, right. Right. and you can't well, talk to people when you're low energy. And, oh. But the, the event was great. A yeah. lot of a lot of people there. I think there's double the amount because of rain last year. Mm. Um, I don't know. It was beautiful scenery. See, I, I can never go because it's the weekend of my wedding anniversary, so I, I, I never, never can go. Well, you can get remarried. Yeah, yeah, you can always get married again. <laughs> there is that. Uh, but that, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about one thing today uh, before we get started is um, the recipes that we give out and uh, competitions and things. One of the, A lot of people listening to the show, uh, they know that uh, you and I do really well in competitions and they want some advice on competitions and they want recipes that are winning recipes. And... The recipes that we give out are award-winning recipes. They've won plenty of awards before. And, uh, you know, this this year with the NHC, I got a bunch of email from people saying, hey, you know, I brewed your, uh, you know, uh, your Scottish ales, I brewed your English ales, I brewed this, I brewed that, you know, I brewed this from the show, and... I, you know, placed for the very first time in the Nationals. It's, you know, it's fantastic. You know, thank you so much. That's great. And, yeah, that's great. You know, we're happy to do it, and, and that's wonderful. But one of the things you got to realize is that the brewer is a big part of this. For sure. Okay, so uh, we can give these recipes out, and you can have the same ingredients and, uh, you know, the same equipment. But, 
you know, there's a number of people out there. They'll brew these and they won't win, and they're going to wonder what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's where the brewer comes in. You got to manage your fermentation. You've got to watch, you know, sanitation. You've got to, uh, you know, uh, your, you know, healthy especially yeast. you know, healthy yeast. You know, fermentation is is everything here. And and the brewer and the processes of brewer, you know, and measuring things and you know, paying attention to what's going on with your beer, uh, you know, very important. And that's a big difference. You know, everybody can have the same recipe, mm-hmm. but you know, the beers turn out different. Why? The brewer. You know, the brewer is key. And so if you've won with these recipes and uh, this advice, uh, you know, that's fantastic. And, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for being, you know, an attentive brewer who's doing the right things, who's who's learning about all the things you need to do to, to brew good beer. It's not extremely complex, but, you know, a lot of people don't uh, pay attention to those, those fine details. So, uh uh, you know, if you're doing well, that's great. You, you know, you you take a lot of cr- that credit for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just the recipe. And if you learn something that people don't, excuse me, that people don't know, um, share that with others. It'll help them make better beer. You know, in, in the long run. Exactly. I just swallowed a frog, by the way. So, <laughs> well, before the show, we were talking about <laughs> how Quaff does really well in the uh, uh, national competition for the Club of the Year. And, uh, you know, you're doing pretty well this year, I hear. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. The, the reason, uh, Quaff does so well, I was explaining to John, is that, uh, the attitude at Quaff is any piece of information you get, you share with other brewers. Right. And it's not just in the club, outside the club too. So, uh, you know, the, the attitude that's been instilled in me is, if you know something about brewing that will help somebody else, somebody has some questions or wants to know how you did something, how you were able to make this award-winning beer, you tell them. You tell them everything that you know. You offer to help them. You do whatever it takes to help them make better beer. Well, they still have to apply it, too, so you right. leave it up to them. Right. right. You know, they, they have to apply it, but you know, the, the attitude is help everyone make better beer. And if mm. you do that, then everybody gets to drink better beer. Right. And uh, you know, each year uh, we get some... Uh, People say, you know, how how is it? You know, you were asking me, you know, how how do how does Doe's beat Quaff in the uh, yeah in the club competition? It's like, well, you know, I was telling you, you got to do this, got to do that. You know, here's you, you need more maybe a couple uh, years more people now. brewing. Yeah, yeah. I, and that'll be great. That'll be a wonderful time. You know, because uh, it's it's a real challenge, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's it's it's not easy, and it takes a lot of hard work. But you know, sharing that information uh, is a great thing. So. Uh, nice to see that spread the love. Exactly. And I, I think that's what we're doing here right. with these, uh, brewcasts. Alright. So, Robust Porter. Uh, you know, Porter started, uh, you know, back in England, back in the day. It was the big, you know, big time beer and one of the first mass produced, uh, commercial beers. And I'm not going to dwell on, you know, the history of Porter and, you know, where it came from, the three threads, the Porters, you know, all that. Um, but, I want to focus more, and and the reason is because I believe uh, Porter has really become more of an American style now. Why is that? Well, uh, Porter pretty much died out in England and, and mm. was kind of resurrected here in the United States. And the, you know, the, like we tend to do here, especially on the West Coast, is make things a little bigger, make them hoppier, make them, you know, uh, you know, a bolder statement. And I, I think that's really become true as far as robust porter goes. Right. And maybe some people will poo-poo that and think I'm crazy. <laughs> but, uh, I said poo-poo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, 
Well, we have a hop fix, so we're all about big over here on the West Coast. So. Exactly. You need more malt to balance that, right. and you know all the all the things that go along with it. You know, it's a, a love of life. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if you have any of the porters that have come back in England and started being rebrewed in England, they tend to be a little smaller and not not as roasty and not as hoppy. Um, if you're uh, into porters, you've probably tried. Uh, you know, there's a there's a number of good ones that you can get commercially, and uh, you know, Anchor Porter is is pretty common. A lot of people try that. Uh, Sierra Nevada's Porter, um, Bell's. Um, Deschutes is one that I really like a lot. Uh, and if you've tried several of them, you'll realize there is, uh, kind of a range in there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you, you know, again, like most of the styles that we talk about, there's a range. And some of them are more hoppy, drier. Some of them are more malty. Some of them are less hoppy, more balanced. Uh, my favorite is the Deschutes because I think it has a lot of balance to it. Uh, interesting thing in the latest Zymergy, they were, uh, doing their commercial calibration thing, and uh, they list it as a brown porter, and uh, it's not a brown porter. Well, and he, he, and and I I'm like, well, it's not a brown porter; it's a robust porter. He, he, uh, yeah. And then I went to the style guy to to think, well, maybe I'm just clueless on right. this. And sure enough, it's listed under robust porter. So I think there was a little mistake in Whoops. there. Whoops! But uh, it is it is. Um, I, I don't think it's it's anything like a brown porter, but it you know it, it, in the realm of robust porters, I'd say it's towards it's starting to head towards that end. Nice. So uh, you know it, it's it's not as uh, strong and and you know harsh as some of the robust porters can be. Well, there's a discrepancy then in robust porter and then with the appearance. You know they say it's medium brown to very dark brown, and then they go well the ruby garnet highlights. But it can be black. So what is it supposed to be? Uh, good, good question. Um, I mean, that's so open. I mean, yeah. Well, and and again, I I don't think some of these aspects of style are not quite so so critical. Hmm. I tend to like them into the black range because uh, you want to get enough of that roasty character in there to mm-hmm. uh, kind of give it that taste, and it generally ends up with a, a pretty dark beer. Hmm. Um, you know, it's it's black, but not so black that you can't see through it. It, it ends up that you get like a if you hold it up to a strong light, you see you know these oh, reddish yeah. uh, hues coming through. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think that's kind of appropriate. But you know, if it's a little lighter in color, a little darker, that's okay. Okay. Um, but uh, I think most of the examples you're going to see now are pretty dark towards mm-hmm. the darker end of the, the spectrum. Well, doesn't even the glass. That that plays a role into how it looks. Like if you if oh, you were absolutely. to serve in the goblet, you know you right. have a brown, but it'll look black. You know? Right, so. right. That's true. How dense the the, the liquid is right. is going to make a difference as well. And the flavor is going to be, um, you know, it's it's going to have a, a pretty good uh, malt flavor, and it's going to have a, um, a coffee uh, chocolate flavor to it. But uh, one of the important things I think is, um, you know, it's it's different than that roastiness you get in a stout. A lot of people they put like roast barley in there, which is really good for like a dry stout. But you I wouldn't use, I wouldn't use that in a robust port. I'd, I'd go with the black patent and uh, and you know some some chocolate malt, and I think that would give you more of an appropriate uh, character to it. And 
like we're saying, you know, some of these finish drier, some of them are more tending towards a, a slightly sweeter. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a balance. I like a little bit of sweetness in there because it makes those roast characters uh, a little more rich and uh, chocolate and, and coffee-like and, and fuller and uh, not quite as, as bitter and dry. I've talked to you about this recipe before, and you tend to like more chocolate in it, personally, than like you said. Yeah, and I've even done um, a mix of uh, regular chocolate malt and a pale chocolate malt, which is about half the uh, uh, lover bond of, of regular chocolate malt. So regular chocolate malt is going to run like 350, 400, mm. and uh, pale chocolate will be about 200 love. Okay. And uh, it gives you an interesting blend of uh, chocolatey, biscuity uh, characters through there. Mm. What do you think about a uh, chocolate wheat? Chocolate wheat. I I have some. I haven't even tried it though. I'm curious. Uh, you know, seems seems like it would work just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one question from the chat room uh, is uh, Sierra Nevada. It, that is a robust porter. The Sierra Nevada porter. Hmm. And one place you can find all this information on these styles is uh, uh, the BJCP website www.bjcp.org. Mm-hmm. And they have style guides. They have information on becoming a judge, running competitions, things like that. It's an excellent site and, and good source for for information. And uh, the style guide alone is, is great reading. It it is very interesting in uh, anytime you try a beer to try and match it up to the style guide and see see where you think it fits. Yeah, I would just print out the whole thing and read it. Yeah, it's it's you know. like I'm saying it's it's a good reference piece uh, put together by a lot of very uh, smart people. Uh, on the flavor. Um, you don't want your robust porter. You want those roasty things, but you don't want it to be burnt or harsh. Or um, you know, some of the stouts can can get more towards that. Uh, the bitterness will be, uh, you know, can be fairly high. But uh, you know, again, I like it a little more balanced, and uh, uh, you know, not very estery. Uh, you know, it depends on the yeast you use. But I, I tend towards the California. At least I like it clean. I like it, you know, the American version, like I was right. saying, of of a, of a robust porter. I use British in mine, and it does have a cherry fruit character to it right and that can be good you know if that's what you, if that's what you like right you know that that's what you can do um i've also noticed the longer you age it the more the fruit character comes out yeah what happens is the alcohols uh will oxidize and uh you know you get some sherry notes and you can get uh, some of the uh higher alcohols you know will, will turn uh kind of fruity-ish so uh, that is one thing with age. That's why you age some of the bigger beers, and they, they take on those characters, and some of those harsher alcohol notes will mellow out over time. So, uh, you know, it is it is a fairly broad style, and it's, um, you know, uh, again, you, you have that range to move around, and it's just not as uh, burnt and uh, uh, have that really strong... Uh, uh, roast barley character that a stout has mm. so that's one of the big differences uh, you were talking that you get a dry finish to it um well like a dry cocoa finish almost from the chocolate malt if you, if you were to make a dry robust porter do you get that at all in, in your recipe um y- you know you can uh again i like mine a little more balanced and not not quite so dry okay uh, you know, Deschutes is, is a kind of the way I, I shoot for it, that kind of style. Um, and uh, I think th- the way to get that is, you know, the balance of, uh, you know, bittering, roasting, uh, you know, and residual sweetness. 
There's a question from the chat. What about adding a lot of molasses? You know, I I wouldn't. Um, you can or or treacle. Uh, you know, I I think uh, in certain types of beer that might might go well, but in uh, in a robust port, I wouldn't do it. And again, you're free to do whatever you want. I think uh, you'll end up with kind of a weird kind of, especially if you add too much uh, character, just it muddies things up rather than uh, uh, making them uh, clear. Uh, what I like to do on uh, Robust Porter is uh, I like to go with uh, uh, about 70 to 75% uh, you know, a pale two-row. Uh, if you want it more malty, go with uh, like a crisp Maris Otter or go with uh, you know, some English Pale Malt. Or if you don't want quite that malt character, you can go with uh, American Two-Row. Work out nicely. A mm. uh, little less uh, malty background. Uh, 9 to 10% Munich Malt, uh, light Munich. Kind of brings out some of that, that character as well. 9% to 10% Crystal 40. You want a little bit of uh, caramel crystal sweetness in the background, not not overdone, but enough to help balance some of the roast that you're going to put in there. And about three percent black patent. Hmm. Now you use the black patent and not the the roasted barley. Black patent is um, a malted grain that is highly roasted, and then roasted barley is just barley; it's not malted. Hmm. And that's and there's a difference in the flavor, and one tends to be more acrid than the other. So uh, some people say you can put some roasted barley in a robust porter, but uh, I don't. And I think um, uh, Ray Daniels in Design Great Beers he says you know no no roasted barley either. Yeah, I know Regan from More Beer. He always said the difference between those two is a stout and a porter is black pat and roasted barley. Yeah, you can't have both. Right. And this is not a style he would say. Right, right. He brews a great porter. Well, and actually, um, this recipe originally, uh, oh, one more, one more thing is, uh, chocolate malt between four to five percent. The, the orig- or origin of this recipe started out when I was first, uh, uh, hanging around more beer and, and starting to work with them was, uh, Chris and Regan. Uh, were helping me come up with a robust porter recipe. I asked Chris, and he said, "Well, let's ask Regan because he brews a lot of robust porters." And we started out uh, coming up with this recipe, and I've tweaked it over the years, but it's pretty close to to what he had originally. And I think he may have had uh, carapils in there or something, a couple other things. And uh, I really like the way this recipe has turned out over time. Well, I brewed in. It's, it's very good. It's yummy. It tur- turns out great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chat room also wants to know uh, mild ale malt or brown malt for something like this. You can do that and, you know, experiment with the different grains that you have. But if you if you replace a large portion of any of the malts with the mild ale malt or the brown malt, the brown malt especially will give you a very unique flavor that... You know, some it, it may work out, it may not. I haven't tried in a robust porter, uh, but have you ever tasted brown malt before? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's yummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it depends on the amount. Yeah, I mean, probably know. a small percentage, but I think it'd probably be good in a border. Yeah, yeah, in a border or a porter? A border. 
That's, uh, that's a porter with brown malt in it? Beer with me here. Beer with you? Beer. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll beer with you. I need a pint, man. Jeez. You were supposed to bring in some of your robust porter, but... Well, I'm selfish. I wanted to keep it for myself. <sighs> Apparently so. Well, and you and you placed in the first round of the Nationals with it, right? Yeah, and it was your recipe. So you need to you need to send it in yeah. to the second round. <laughs> Not that you win there, but uh, that's all right. It's, you might give you some hope. <laughs> Appreciate your confidence, buddy. John, the uh, chat room wants to know if uh, it should be biscuity. Um, <laughs> a slight edge, a hint of biscuitiness is good. You know, um, it's really good if you have it with chicken. Um, you know, I like fried chicken with a good biscuity porter. Um, tends to bring out a lot of the flavor in your mouth, and as you know, chicken has a lot of moisture, and um, if you cook it properly <laughs> on a barbecue. And get it just right where it's really moist and the white in the center. Chicken's really good. I like okay. salt and pepper, so. Yeah. After the break, we'll talk about the hops and the yeast. We'll be right back. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Wow! I feel good. Now, back to the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about robust porters, how to brew a delicious, robust porter, very similar to the Deschutes. <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> John's not feeling well. He's, he's sick, but he's a trooper. He came in anyways to uh, help spread the germs amongst the rest of us in the studio. I hope I don't get you just, sick. Just trying to just trying to do me in so I can't brew more beer. Exactly for for competitions. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we were talking about the the grain bill, and if you're if you're doing a extract version of this, what what you're going to need is a light malt extract like the Alexander's, the Ultra Pale that uh, various people sell, or uh, the Brees version. And you're going to need some Munich malt extract, or you're going to need to do a partial mash. So uh, some of the homebrew shops out there, they have recipes where they've got Munich malt and just having you steep it, and that just does not work. Munich malt needs to be converted. It's not a pre-converted malt. So you have to do a mini mash with Munich malt or get yourself some Munich malt extract, which they're selling nowadays, which is very good, and uh, use that as your blend. For hops, there's a couple ways you can go. One is more towards a nod towards the English traditional, which would be the Kent Goldings, which I like to do mine that way, and go with a more subdued hopping. And uh, you'll have a initial bittering charge around 60 minutes, and you might throw in uh, you know, a half to three quarters or one ounce at at knockout at, when you turn the flame off. Uh, if you want to go to a more Americanized version of this or West Coast version of this, uh, Cascade, Centennial, Amarillo, uh, all good choices. And you can, uh, you know, get that citrusy, hoppy thing going. I wouldn't go too intense. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you can have some, some hop aroma and flavor. And, you know, if you want, really want to Americanize it even more. And some people like it that way. I wouldn't uh, be too heavy-handed if you if you intend to do this for competition type 
type entries. Right. I don't think it would do very well. Depends on the judges, but I, I don't think it would. You'll still make beer. Exactly. And yeah. if it's beer you like, you know, that's that's what uh, what it's all about. And it, it, you don't have to uh, adhere to this rigid uh, f- format. Although, you know, Rose Porter is, is pretty wide open. And if it's a good drinkable beer, that's all that matters. As far as uh, mash temp, if you're going all grain, you're going to shoot for around 152 Fahrenheit, which is about 67 Celsius. So 152 to 154 Fahrenheit, 67, 68 Celsius is going to get you kind of a, a medium, medium full uh, mouthfeel on this. You don't want it to be thin because when it's thin, uh, the dryness tends to seem accentuated. Mm-hmm. So it tends to have some some medium body to it. I do single uh, infusion. Uh, you know, no step mashes or anything on this. Uh, most beers I go single infusion. It works quite well. And for the yeast, I use uh, California ale yeast most of the time. The uh, White Labs WLP001 or the Y Yeast 1056. This is a good beer if you're brewing this uh, using dry yeast. You can use the um, US 56. is a is a is a good version of California ale yeast for this. It's it tends to be a little have a little bit of peach character if you ask me. But in a in a beer such as this, where there's a lot of roast and a lot of other things going on, it helps to mask that, and it's not not as big a deal, and uh, turns out quite well. So US 56, the dry yeast, is a good good choice for this, I think. What about um, <coughs> excuse me, an English yeast? If you're doing an English yeast, a couple of things to to keep in mind. One is uh, you're going to have lower attenuation within English yeast than you will with the California ale yeast. And you're going to get some more esters. So I would probably back down on the original gravity a little bit. If you're using the California ale yeast, you're shooting for around, uh, you know, the style guide is between 1048 to 1065. I tend to go towards the high end on this style and go 1062 to 1065 in there. If you're going to do English ale yeast, maybe back it down a few points, go, you know, in the 10... You know, 58 to 10, you know, 64, 1062 in, in there, uh, with the English ale yeast, uh, you know, 10, uh, 1058 to 1062. And if you're doing the California ale yeast, maybe 62 to, uh, 64. So, you're, you'll end up with one that isn't too sweet, uh, with the English ale yeast and, uh, not too estery. You could use the, uh, the dry Safalo 4, I think it is. For English, right, right. There's a or you know the Nottingham or the Windsor, or any of those uh, are pretty good as well. Again, I, I don't think they're as good as the uh, liquid yeasts, but I think you know they're they're pretty passable. And if you uh, need to brew in a pinch and can't make a, a starter or uh, you know just can't get uh, you know some of our friends in Australia, it's very difficult for them to get uh, liquid yeasts. And uh, they'll either have to maintain their own slants, or they'll go with a dry yeast. Dry yeast is a is a good option. And there's some uh, commercial pubs that use dry yeast as well. It's uh, and winemakers use it all the time. Of course, the wine yeasts are different for that reason. And uh, in the hopping, you're shooting for 
a, a bittering to gravity ratio of about uh, 0.7 to 0.9. I tend to go towards the lower end of that again. I, I like some residual sweetness in there to make the roast seem less harsh and more chocolatey. Well, you don't want astringency going through, right? Right. You know, there's some astringency in there, but again, it's balanced with a little bit of sweetness. Right. And it, it it's an overall pleasant thing. It's like coffee, and you add a little sugar to it. You know, it's it's that difference. You don't want it too sweet, but uh, for for my recipe, I'll shoot you know ten sixty four ish, and I'll go with uh, oh thirty four IBUs. And that that turns out to uh, you know 35 around there turns out to be a pretty good uh, balance, uh, and that might be a little less than 0.7. And as far as uh, the finishing alcohol goes, you're going to be around you know in that type of year you're be around six percent. The style guide says uh, 4.8 to six percent, and I think in you know the American versions that you see floating around they're all you know uh, five and a half and above they tend to be it seems so maybe some of them are around five too but they tend to be towards a higher end to a higher end in alcohol higher end in hopping higher end in in you know everything overall which makes for uh, a robust porter a robust yeah <laughs> you know so uh, yeah it, figure. well and it, you know it kind of died out in england and i think you know the last one brewed uh uh, I can't remember the story now. Sometime, what, in the 70s or something like that? Or pretty much it died out by the 70s. And then, like so many other styles that we, we're doing here, we're, you know. Uh, Homebrew brought a, it back. Homebrew and commercial brewers, you know, willing to do a lot of history and a lot of study and uh, uh, figure out, you know, what's going on with uh, those styles and, and bring them back and brew them and, and see, see what it's all about and creativity and, and history. I have to just chime in real quick and say that uh, as much as I li- I'm, I'm the not a session beer drinker and I like to drink you know six or seven nice healthy hearty beers at a time. If I am just gonna have like one pint of beer, I only have time for that. Robust Porter is definitely one of my favorites to have because, well, a it's a little higher in the alcohol content and that's a good thing. But it has so much kind of body and flavor and just so much going on that I don't want six of them. I really don't. I just I kind of just want a real nice pint of it and then leave it alone. It's definitely one of my favorite styles for that. Hmm. If I'm just going to pick up, you know, a one-off at the store, one I've never tried, that's what I'll go for. It's nice. a robust porter. It's good stuff. Hits a spot. Yeah, it really does. It's like two in one. Yeah. Nice. That is all. Yeah, ro- <laughs> robust porter is uh, it, it's absolutely one of my favorites as well. And uh, let me also mention, if you're listening, uh, you can hit the chat now button on the website and join the other listeners in the chat room and ask questions that way or call us up uh, 1-888-401-BEER and uh, ask your questions on the air. Uh, yeah, Robus Porter is one of my favorites and one of the things that I brew very consistently, very well over the years and it has become the base for a lot of other beers that I do. So in I'll what, do... In what way? Well, uh... I have a smoked porter, like like the Alaskan, right? And I uh, I actually uh, did well with that. I got in the nationals in the second round, the final round. I I, I placed it. And you know who you know who was the uh, the judges for that? Ray Daniels. Wow. Uh, Jeff Larson, who's mm-hmm. Alaskan Brewing, right? And you know they wrote the book on smoked uh, smoked beers. 
and uh, also Harold Goodbranson, uh, a good friend of mine down in San Diego. Wow. So uh, those were the judges, and he's a, an excellent judge of smoked beers. So those were the judges for that, and I was really proud of that win. I think it was only uh, second place or third place, but it, it, I... Treasure that one because uh, Jeff Larson was in on it and Ray Daniels was in on it and Harold was in on it. And it's a tough crowd. Yeah, you know, you know, if if Jeff Larson says, "Yeah, the smoke porter is good enough to place," I mean, you know, look who's talking. So, yeah, yeah that, that made me feel really good. So, uh, yeah, you can do wood aged. You mm-hmm. could uh, age a, uh, a robust porter in a cask. It's it's big enough beer to withstand some aging. And if you want to bump it up a little bit into the Maybe up to 70, you could do that and age it. It'll age out well. You could uh, make fruit beer out of it, right? What? So uh, raspberries and robust porter. What about NyQuil nice. beer? Right, you could make a NyQuil robust porter. There you go. Yeah, they are talking about adding uh, raspberries or cherries and mm-hmm. things like that in the chat room. Be an excellent uh, blend as well. Mm. Uh, any any fruit that has uh, some tartness and some kind of bold character could be used. You, you couldn't do something like a peach uh, robust porter. Mm. Uh, you can do a uh, spicer vegetable. Uh, I do a uh, chocolate hazelnut porter, which is that's something <laughs> a lot of people brew. It's a very, very popular recipe, and a lot of people brew it. What made you think of hazelnut for that one? Well, the interesting thing is I'd seen a uh, article in a... I, I went back and I bought every back issue of like Zymergy, every every copy of Brewing Techniques, every copy of BYO, back to the first one. And I read through all of them. And at one point in like the early to mid-90s, there was a recipe in there for a chocolate hazelnut stout. I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. And then I was at a, a homebrew shop in Stockton that's no longer there. And uh, he had a, a kit for a chocolate hazelnut porter. And I was thinking, oh, you know, I just read about this. You know, let me give it a try. Give it a try, and uh, it didn't turn out so good. Um, and the problem was the the robust porter part of it wasn't wasn't any good. Mm. And uh, so I tweaked that over time, and really got it dialed in where where I liked it. And it turned out just uh, fantastic. And it is the most requested recipe that I get is for that chocolate hazelnut porter, and everybody brews it, and people just love it. And you'd think, God, you know. That isn't the kind of beer I would drink, you know. It's chocolate hazelnut. It sounds like a foo-foo, fancy, I don't know. But with a good base robust porter, you know, it turns out really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's somewhat dessert-like, but, you know, it's a drinkable dessert-like. And uh, that's really enjoyable. Well, in the extract kit, you have an, a lot of steeping grains. I mean, it's right, like the one that warms your cells. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big kit. There's a lot of stuff in there. Why? I mean... So much, like two and a half pounds worth of steeping grains. Well, it's like a half pound of cocoa powder and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I know those guys hate having uh, to make that kit up. No, but it's one of the best-selling kits, right? Mm-hmm. They sell a ton of those things. I love your photo in the old catalog, too. <laughs> the one laying down? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hot. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> foo-foo beer. Jamil yeah. the foo-foo fighter. Me, me and my foo-foo beer. Yeah. But, you know, Robust Porter is uh, very flexible that way, and so you can do all these different things. And you can do, uh, you know, yeast things with it. I, I know some people have tried doing, uh, like, a Brett uh, hmm. thing with the Robust Porter. The soured a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, and uh, you can use uh, other, uh, you know, lactobacillus and things like that and, and tart it up. And there was a uh, Robust Porter that they were selling. I remember seeing it at BevMo, and I actually got some and tried it. 
I don't know if they still carry it. It was horrible. It was uh, supposed to be like an English robust porter. It was in a, like a green square bottle. Cool. Like an old, you know, medicine flask from, uh, you know, the old West days. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, slightly infected and... Uh, Yummy. Yeah, and it was... It was I, I didn't quite enjoy that one. But, you know, you could do uh, a number of things with mm-hmm. it. And I think that's that's one of the, the beauties. Would you say that for all dark beers? They're easier to manip- manipulate with other ingredients, spices and adjuncts? And um, yeah, I, th- I think they hold up better. Mm. You know, you could do, uh, you know, coconut in a in a dark beer. You can do, uh, you know, spices like, a, you know, Halloween. You could do like a pumpkin porter. Mm. And, uh, you know, it'll hold up well to the pumpkin spices and a pumpkin character as well. You could do the molasses or treacle mm. uh, treatment to it, and it'll hold up fairly well. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of different things you can do to it. The um, you know, the important thing is getting a, the base beer dialed in. Right. You know, brew that a few times, get it dialed in, get it the way you want it, and then sometimes you can make it a little sweeter if you want to, you know, adjust for something, one thing or the other, and uh, can make a, a real good beer. Well, you stress that a lot. Have a good base beer, get that down. Exactly. Tweak it later. later. Exactly. And uh, Robust Porter, um, like you're saying, and dark beers in general, with enough alcohol behind them, will age quite well mm. as well. You can uh, store these away. And I had, uh, you know, some of the very first Robust Porters I ever brewed, I had a few bottles of them, and I, I was thinking, oh boy, this must be just horrible. It must be. Uh, you know, just terribly aged by now. And how old were they? At the time, it was you know four or five years old, and uh, wow. we pulled those out. And I had like a vertical sampling of my robust porters over the years, and uh, tasted them side by side, and yeah, they were all in just great shape. Tasted really good, and very enjoyable, and uh, something happens with the roast character. Mm. That's another thing about robust porters and all that. If you don't age them a little bit. Uh, that roastiness can be a little bit sharp. Mm. If you let it get a little age on it, let it sit for a couple of months, that roast will kind of mellow into more chocolate, cocoa, coffee flavors versus being kind of some burnt grain stuffed right. in there. Right. And that, that makes a big difference as well. What, do you want a break, Jamil? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's time for a break. Anybody notice that John sounds like Tone Loke today? Who's that? Wild Thing? Funky Cold Medina? How old are you? 26. Tone Loke was even before your time? You don't know who Tone Loke is? <laughs> oh, my God. Bear with me, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right. So if you guys have any questions, get in the <laughs> chat room, ask them, or you know, dial us up uh, 1-888-401-BEER, and we'll be happy to talk robust porters with you. Be back in just a moment. Is the Jamil Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about robust porters. You can join us in the chat room by clicking the chat now button on the website, uh, brewingnetwork.com, or you can uh, 
call us and talk to us direct at one eight 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 four one beer. This is a live show, by the way, all the Brewing Network stuff. And uh, we were talking about robust porters, and one thing we neglected to talk about was fermentation temperature. <gasps> How could you? I don't know. This, you, your your illness is throwing me off today. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's because I'm trying to sit so far away from you that it's making it close problem. to you. Yeah, we don't have that. You know, usually when we're rubbing our legs against each other, that gives me a warm feeling. Good high energy show, which yeah. helps helps the energy of the show. Well, let's talk about our yeast friends. <laughs> okay, what do you think? Yeah, uh, the fermentation temperature is going to control attenuation in a way, and also the esters that you're going to get and the alcohols that you're going to get. If you go too warm, it's going to be too estery, too solventy, especially in, in in a beer that's a little higher gravity like this. So with California ale yeast, I'll go 67 to 68, 69 in there Fahrenheit. Uh, with uh, an English ale yeast, uh, I go around the same. You can go a little higher than that. And you're going to get a little more attenuation. You're going to get a little, um, a little more esters and a little more higher alcohols, which which can be a bit of an issue. Um, if you're going to go colder, it's going to not attenuate quite as much. It might end up too sweet, and I wouldn't go much colder than you know 67 really? or so. So about uh, 20 degrees uh, Celsius. You don't think a Cal Ale can attenuate at a low 60? It can. Okay. But you're going to get slightly less attenuation the oh. colder it gets. It tends to... Is tends it stressed to, out too much? It, well, it, it tends to be, you know, relative. Hmm. So, and uh, I know some people ferment Cal Ale yeast real cold, but uh, like Chris Graham and I both believe Cal Ale yeast... 65 degrees is pretty much as low as you want to go. Wow. You get below that, you have troubles with it. Sometimes just dropping out of solution all of a sudden. Mm. And so I, I I tend not to go that any lower than 65 with Calliope yeast. It likes the heat. Yeah, and it's is very clean at 65, and it's very clean at 66, 67, 68. Uh, it's not until you get up into the 70s and above that it starts to get a little a little you know too solventy or or estery. Zymer just is in the chat room, uh, pretty much agreeing with you, Jamil. He said he likes to pitch right around 60 and let it rise to 65. He says he still get he gets 75 percent attenuation. Okay. Okay. That, just, that works. Yeah. I, well, I wonder why he pitches cold. He just thinks that it's uh, too warm to pitch into, and it, that he gets uh, esters out of it. I suppose. Huh. He can call in if he wants to. Eight 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 four zero one beer. If you want to talk about that, Zymer just. I'm just reading what he's talking about with people in the chat room i've never heard of pitching cold with an ale yeast do you do that too uh no oh, okay. no i uh, you know i pitch around the fermentation temperature with ale yeast i don't worry about it like as much as i do with lagers because you do want some esters in the beer uh one of the issues is uh you know we can end up making too clean a beer and in ales uh, part of the, the character of ales is the esters is the fermentation uh, profile just like with lagers there are some flavors and uh, aromas in a lager beer that are due to the yeast and the fermentation profile and you want that characteristic too mm-hmm. so with ales you do want some esters and um, you know i i i, I, I would br- i would ferment this around you know 67 68 i think you're going to you're going to get a uh, a better fermentation out of this yeast at that temperature. It's going to be quite clean. 
you're not really going to pick up a lot of stuff. It's not until you get up into the much higher uh, gravities and higher alcohol that you're going to start to get more more of the fusels coming out. Or if you get up past 70 degrees, it's a very clean yeast. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, a lot of the uh, brew pubs use it. It's very uh, versatile. Uh, you can use it in many, many styles. And, uh, you know, one of my favorites. Zymergist, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going real well. What's up, man? Well, I just called in because I got asked. I don't know why, but uh, you, you said something about pitching. And uh, like I said, I like to pitch cold, but it's not so much for the esters. I love esters. It's those higher headache-causing alcohols that I have problems with. I mean, I love headaches as much as anybody, but I want to earn my headache. <laughs> I mean, I want to drink enough beer and make it up in quantity and not try to do it with quality. I mean, I want to do it with, you know damn fine beer and lots of it rather than, you know, one or two beers that have these, you know, higher alcohols that just, you know, waste your brine. Yeah, with the California ale yeast, you're not really going to get fusel alcohols until you get up into the 70s. It's, that it's is very true, clean. but I don't use the 1056. I like to use the 1968 Y yeast, you know, the ESB yeast. Oh, yeah, well, there, there, yeah, there you're going to get uh, a lot more. Yeah, I get a nice balance of uh, esters. And I don't get to produce all those higher alcohols. I get to produce the right kind of alcohol, you know, that, that liver-killing alcohol, because that, that liver is an evil organ. It needs to destroyed. <laughs> get rid of that thing. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> That's my goal, that. you know, end, end, end this life in this world without a liver. <laughs> you got to have goals, man. <laughs> well, my mother forced me to eat liver when I was a child, and she would soak it in milk, and it looked like these huge leeches, you know, that were in like a bowl of cereal. <laughs> So, Jamil, if you were using the Y yeast, would you uh, tend to do the same then? Pitch real low and let it warm up a bit, or would 65 still be fine for you? Yeah, I would I would make sure I pitch plenty of it. Mm. Oh, God, and, yeah. Uh, and I would, I would uh, you know, on English ale yeast, I'd still go 66, 67 degrees. Mm. And, uh, well, I'll let pit, it get to that temperature. I mean, I, I pitch it at like 60, but I'll let it naturally go up to 65, 70 in that neighborhood. So it actually does rise up there, but not until after it's past full Croizen, usually. Gotcha. All right. Thanks, Zymergist. Hey, not a problem, guys. Take you ever care. need any more uh, help or advice or just a, you know, backwards opinion from a contrarian <laughs> brewer, let me know. Great. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Hey, you guys take care. It's good hearing you, Jamil. Great. Thanks take for calling care. in. Bye-bye. We always like the backwards opinions. That's why you're here, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> I know you do. That's why I get to stay around. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I thought when you pitched cold, you're, you're not even producing alcohol until Croizen peak. Aren't you Aren't you just producing CO2? Yeah. The, you know, the initial stage is, uh, you know, where the, the yeast is acclimating and then, you know, it, it, it starts uh, reproduction and, and you're, you're getting the replication of the yeast. Right. And there is some alcohol production, but, you know, in... It's more if, growth phase, so... Yeah, yeah, and if, you, if you're starting out uh, uh, real cold, uh, that can be an issue. Hmm. You're going you're gonna to have a long lag, and you might uh, pick up some unwanted... Uh, again, your, your beer isn't sterile, and as try as we might, it's not sterile, and there are things in there. So you really do want to out-compete them, and you got to be careful. Right. One of the things in the loggers, when you get down into the 40s, they're 
you know, it's you're you're pretty cold, and, and the bacteria slow down right. considerably, and the yeast are still the longer yeast are still active. Hmm. You know, they're both still active, but you know, there there's kind of a different take on it, I think. Hmm. And uh, you know, I think the ester production in lagers is critical, hmm. so you need to you know there. I don't know. I you know whatever works best for you be the way to go. Right. But uh, my my route is uh, you make a starter. Or get a, a good slurry, you know, of the right amount, and uh, pitch it in there right at uh, fermentation temperature 60. You might start a couple of degrees down, and once fermentation picks up, if you don't have a way of cooling it, right, because it'll produce heat. Because it'll produce heat, right. right, and you don't want it to get too hot. So you might chill it down to you know 64, 63, 64, something like that. Right. Pitch it in, let it warm up, and you know as it goes, it'll it'll end up around 70 anyways, or you know mid 60s depending on your ambient temperature. Hmm. But that might be one thing you could do. Uh, but idea. other than that, if you have a way of controlling your fermentation temperature, I would just go right at your fermentation temperature and, and keep it going that way. Anything about barrel aging before you get out of here, Jamil? Barrel aging, ooh, uh, yeah, a lot about barrel aging. <laughs> it's, it's a good beer to barrel age. Yeah, I would brew it a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, go up to maybe 1070, Whoa. so you get a little more alcohol in there. And uh, in the barrel, you're gonna p- it's gonna allow a little oxygen in, which is going to convert those alcohols and uh, have some uh, have some effect on that. But uh, it's a nice beer for barrel aging, and especially if you want to do like a bourbon barrel beer, mm-hmm. you know, you can do stouts and things like that. Robust Porter is a nice a nice uh, change up on that. You could even add oak chips or oak cubes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to go. I know people using. Uh, yeah. Uh, oak chips and all that, and they soak them in bourbon. But I would just, you know, just pour the shot of bourbon in. Don't, don't bother. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You, you soak the wood in bourbon. People do that. I don't, I don't see the the point of that. I would just put the oak right in the in the beer. Let it sit to you know taste it on a regular basis to you get the right amount of oak character that you want. Yeah. Then take it out and uh, uh, add add bourbon to it. You know, dose it until you you know do it in like small cups. Measure yourself out two ounces of beer. Mm-hmm. Get your uh, heroin syringe mm. and measure in the right amount of bourbon <laughs> until until the taste is just how you want it, taste and aroma. Then take, uh, you know, uh, do multiplication how many ounces you got in your keg, and say, okay, well now I need you know X number of cups of of bourbon for the whole keg. Add about three quarters of that to the keg. Mix it up, taste it. Say okay, yeah, it's right, or or I, yeah, I do need the last quarter in there. Hmm. And uh, you know, it's the same way you do fruit beers. That's and, interesting. Uh, and now you're also altering the alcohol content. Yeah, it'll raise too. it up as well. Definitely. But you know, th- that's okay. You know, we're we're doing homebrew. Yeah. And but it is a, it's, it would seem to me a different character than taking the bourbon flavor that would be in the wood in a barrel, yes, a, as opposed to actually adding bourbon. Right, so you're you are really changing. It's two different things. But you know the bourbon character in the barrel, and you know those barrels, they they have you know a few cups of bourbon in them. Yeah, when you get them, they're they are you know they're there's like a half gallon of bourbon. No kidding. Great. You know, I, I got two Jim Beam barrels, and there's like a half gallon of bourbon in those things. Really? Yeah, and uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know like, that. You know, twenty bucks for a barrel. You know, half gallon Jim Beam comes with it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty good. And uh, yeah, and there is some difference to it. But you know, the nice thing about this is, if if you if you can get yourself a Jim Beam barrel and you can produce fifty five gallons of beer to put in the thing, hmm. 
you know, it's great. It's a great way to do it, and I've done that, and it, it works out really nice. If you can't do that and you're working with oak cubes and all that, soaking them in bourbon is not going to give you the same bourbon character. What you can do if you want, if you if you want to avoid the extra alcohol of the bourbon, is just heat your uh, bourbon up in a saucepan on the stove, and uh, you throw your oak cubes in there at the same time if you want, and uh, just heat it up to about uh, what's the temperature for alcohol? You know, one fifty something, one seventy. Heat it up to like one seventy, and I'll pasteurize the oak cubes, and it'll drive off the alcohol in the bourbon, and you'll just be left with the bourbon flavor pretty mm. much. Okay. And you can try that as well, and that, that, that should work fairly well. Yeah, less time aging, too. What was right. the beer that we tried at Anderson Valley that Firestone had? Remember that? Was that the stout that was on bourbon? I don't remember. <laughs> you drank a lot of beer that day. <laughs> I didn't until that night. Oh, okay. So that's why I don't I don't think I had it. I don't okay. think I had it with you at that. I don't think I had anything from Firestone. <laughs> yeah, you, you specifically talked about it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Either way, I remember it was really good. I had four, the, the blackout periods are getting longer. Well, I had all of about four samples at the entire festival. It wasn't until camping at night that I had anything oh. else. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was good. Yeah. Hmm. Very strange. They must have been strong samples, those four. <laughs> those four <laughs> one-gallon <laughs> samples. Yeah, exactly. All right. I don't know what was in it. What's next time, Jamil? All right. So our next show is going to be Classic American Pilsner, CAP. And uh, it's a it's a great style. You can brew it and have it ready for Fourth of July. It is not uh, not your your father's Budweiser or whatever. This is uh, you know how they brewed lager beers back in the day, and it's a pretty impressive beer. I think you'll like it. Coming up next is a repeat of the very first brewcast on the Brewing Network. Lots of fun to listen to and see how far we've come. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow at 10 is the Oz Craft Brewer Show, one of my favorites. And we'll see you in two weeks. Jamil Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.